In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Well, already at the Sunday of the prodigal son. You know what that means. It means that we're moving closer to Great Lent. Because the church always assigns the prodigal son parable to be read as one of the preparatory Sundays as we approach as we approach the doors of Lent. And it does so for three things, for three reasons, three messages it wants us to hear. First, to acknowledge the reality and effects of sin. Secondly, to see the beauty of repentance. And thirdly, to realize the compassion of God. What a marvelous, marvelous parable we've heard today. Sin is that force or that power that separates us one from another, separates us from God, and separates us even from our own best self. It's that power that, that creates division. Sometimes it's the breaking of an actual commandment, but it's much broader than that. Because Satan seeks to separate us. As a small boy, I lived far, far, far up north in central Canada. And I used to watch the caribou being chased across the frozen lake. And behind them would come the wolves. And the wolves' chief goal was to separate one of the caribou from the herd. Because once they did that, it was relatively easy pickings. And that's what Satan does with us. He seeks to separate us, divide us, make us isolated. Because then it's much easier for us to succumb to his traps. But God, we're told by, by Ezekiel, does not desire the death of a sinner, but rather that he turn and live. In the liturgy, there's one of the most beautiful one-line prayers. We just, I just said it. Unfortunately, it's one of those prayers that is seldom, if ever, said aloud. It talks about God who set repentance as the way of salvation. The fathers assure us that on the day of judgment, we're not going to be condemned for sinning. We will, however, be condemned if we don't repent. Because that's the force and the power of repentance. Because all men, all of us, are guilty of sinners. And so we know that when we have that profound change of heart, which alters the course of our life, that's repentance. And we're called always to repent, always to turn back to God. The fathers say we know that we're forgiven when we hate our sins and beg God for a second chance. The one thing we notice about today's parable, the first thing, is that the father respects his son's free will. The boy, his son, could be a 21st century man because he craves his freedom. 
He irresponsibly demands money. Give me my share of the inheritance, he says. Either he doesn't know about the pitfalls of the world, or in his arrogance he's confident that he won't succumb to them. He wants to be in control, but more than this, when do you get an inheritance? We don't get the inheritance until someone dies. And so asking his father for his share of the inheritance is like saying, old man, your time is up. Come on, give what's mine. The father knows what's going to happen, and yet he lets his son go. This is repeating or a repetition of Adam and Eve. God gives Adam and Eve Eden and he warns them. He says, don't touch the fruit. When you touch the fruit, you're going to die. It's poison. However, we have free will. We are given free will because without free will, there's no chance of perfection. Other than that, if everything is predetermined for us, then we are just little robots going through some ridiculous routine. But God gives us that free will so we can become perfect, so we become holy, so we become united with Him. Today, St. Paul's epistle said, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. You know, in the abortion debate, that's ripping America apart again, one side calls itself pro-choice. Well, you know, in reality, all men have, are, are pro-choice. God is pro-choice because he lets us choose. We can lie, we can cheat, we can steal, we can, we can commit adultery, we can blaspheme or not. The choice is up to us. And so in that sense, we're all pro-choice. The only, the only thing we have to consider is this, that only one choice will lead us to God, and there are consequences for what choice we choose. And on the Day of Judgment, we'll have to give an account for what we've chosen to do in this life. Each of us have been made in the image and, and likeness of God. In baptism, we receive grace. However, from infancy, we begin to squander the gifts that God has given us. And the gulf between us and God grows and grows and grows. It's as if we go to a far country. The spiritual... This is a spiritual state of rebellion against God and His Gospel. We, we reject God's teaching and plan to live our lives according to our standards, according to our logic. In the Thanksgiving prayers that we say after each liturgy, I love the prayer we make to the Theotokos. We say, spare me from my, from my own reasoning because that can be such folly. 
C.S. Lewis, whom many of you know and admire, wrote that when Satan challenged God, he said the spiritual, the spatial distance between them didn't change. So he said the spiritual distance became infinite. Because they were just so far apart. Satan filled his hatred, his jealousy, and his own, his own egotism. Well, the young boy, we're told, goes to a far country. Perhaps he only went down the block. But the difference, the separation, the division between him and his father was infinite. It was great. And going down the block, he's got a roll of bills in his pocket, and he spends foolishly. You know, if a young man goes into the bar with money, he's going to be very popular. And this young man, we're led to believe, had friends. He had the hangers-on. He had those who had told him how great he was. But then something happens in that distant country. Famine. Famine, because being apart from God doesn't nourish us. It doesn't satisfy us. In the hymnology last night, at Vespers, we heard him say that he was eating the fodder. Eating the fodder of wild animals. But it wouldn't satisfy him. He was left hungry, craving for more. You know, here in America, our beloved country, my heavens, America was founded by Christians. Now, they, were, they weren't Orthodox, and they had some rather radical views, but they attempted to erect a Christian society. The beloved, increasingly, our country becomes opposed to God. In the name of freedom, they have struck down the church. We struck down prayer. My heavens, if you look at the school curriculum, it's frightening. The things our children are learning about abortion, about the issue of sexual identity, about the, the issue of sexual morality, about euthanasia, about evolution. It's all there. You think, my heavens, this isn't quite what the scriptures tell me. It's not what I believe. It's not what we should have. It's not what we should have in our country. And yet the forces defending such things, such actions and thought, are powerful indeed. We Christians are left gasping, struggling, trying to comprehend what's going on, and trying to fight against it to the best of our ability. Make no mistake, ours is a very unique faith. It's being revealed to us by God. It's not man-made. He's given us commandments to follow. He said, if you're going to follow life, go this way. If you want to go to perdition, go that way. I love it. We find ourselves in a great deal of confusion today. Well, the parable, the parable reveals to us a great reality. There's a price for the truth, for the choices we make. For the coming of the famine, 
The young boy discovers that he has no friends. They all disappear. The people who thought he was so great, suddenly the ones who he treated and spent money on, they want nothing to do with him. The boy is lonely, he's dirty, he's hungry, and he's destitute. He ends up where? In a pigsty. In my very first parish, I had a farmer who had pigs. <gasps> if you've never seen a pigsty, let me assure you, it's disgusting. It's foul. The stench is disgusting. The filth. Oh. But we're talking here about a Jewish boy. And for the Jew, the pig is a forbidden animal, a dirty animal. And so it's a way of describing our life. I remember, I remember my instructor at seminary, Father Hopko, who used to say, you know, it's one thing for us if we remember a good family life and when we fall, wanting to return to it. But he said, what about those who've grown up with a big side? It's much, much more difficult. Well, hunger brings the boy to his knees. And he realizes that he can't make it. And he remembers home. He says, you know, my father's... It says a beautiful thing in scripture. It says when he comes to himself, when he comes back to his senses, he realizes the mistakes he's made, the stupidity of his choices. And he says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to my father. He's merciful. Now beg him to hire me as one of the servants. And so he memorizes a speech and he begins the journey home. And we're told a very beautiful thing. That the father has been looking for him. And when he spots the boy in a distance, he does something that no Mid-Eastern father would ever do. Something that most fathers of any culture wouldn't do. He runs to meet his son. And he embraces him. And the son tries to blurt out his memorized speech. The father can't even be bothered with that. He orders his servants, bring the best robe. Bring a ring for his finger. Bring sandals for his feet. And he sets out killing the, or having his servants kill the fatted calf. Because he wants to rejoice. What a joyful, happy encounter. Repentance leads the boy to return. The favorite psalm we have in the Orthodox Church is Psalm 50. And then we have the words, a thoroughly broken and humbled heart, God will not despise and turn away. This is the key to our salvation, repentance. Why does God permit us to suffer? The best answer I found comes from the fathers again, and they say, it reminds us that this is not our home, and we're citizens of the kingdom of God. St. John says in his Gospel, if you're of the world, the world would love its own. 
But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, the world hates you. Writing to the Hebrews, St. Paul says, we are strangers and exiles on earth. And to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. That's why we never feel, a Christian never feels comfortable in the world. Should never feel comfortable in the world. Christ does not come as a judge, but he comes to save us. He doesn't call to condemn us, but to bring us home. All of us sin. There are only so many sins. And they're repeated with nauseating regularity. It's sort of like one of those old menus you find in some restaurants. You know, one item out of column A, two items out of column B, three items, three items out of column C and down the line. And so we mix it up. But beloved, the re ugly reality is this. But since I haven't committed, indeed, I've committed here. I've committed here. And so I can't stand in judgment of my brother because we all have the same weakness. We all have the same ancestral sin in our lives. You know, there are some there are some people who sin greatly and they despair that they can ever be forgiven. This, of course, is exactly what Satan wants us to believe. And we reach a point and God shakes his head. Beloved, there's nothing we can ever do to make God stop loving us. Let me repeat that. There's nothing we can ever do to make God stop loving us. This is the mystery. This is the Christian mystery. I must tell you, I believe those words, but I don't understand them. How can God love us? He created the universe. We're told that there are trillions upon trillions of planets and galaxies. And you look at the sky and you're just astounded. And then they try to explain how the world was created and how the inner planets, the outer planets. This planet moved, those planets stayed. And your mind is just in awe. And here on this planet, there are these microbes that are crawling on the surface of the earth, us. And God loves us so much that he came down for us. Archbishop Benjamin tells a beautiful story. He was in San Francisco, and he had to catch a cab. And the cab driver recognized him as an Orthodox priest. And the cab driver identified himself as a Muslim and said, you're a priest, you're a Christian. And Archbishop Benjamin said, yes. And then the man went on proclaiming how his faith was superior. And he said, don't you think it's degrading for a God to become a man? And Archbishop Benjamin said, God, God, he said, I've met many Christians who don't understand that fact. And here was a man who was trying to destroy Christianity, and he got it. Because 
That's the incredible thing. God loves us so much. He even came down to this planet to become one of us. So he could deliver the message in person. So he could defeat death for our sake. What a marvelous, marvelous God we have. So the central message of today's gospel is this. We are not throwaways. When we bungle, when we sin, when we do terrible things that we're ashamed and disgusted, God doesn't forget us. But like the father in today's parable, he's waiting there anxiously to spot our return. Sin separates us from God. But we can overcome that sin with repentance. Because we're not created to live in the pigsty. And God is waiting to spot us on our return. And if he does, he'll run and join us. He'll run and meet us. The Lord tells us in the Gospels, he says, there's more joy in heaven over one who repents than those who need no repentance. Well, the reality is that we all need repentance. And as we journey through great men, let us be mindful of the love of God the Father, and the urgency and possibility of our repentance and return to Him. And in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.